Hey everybody, welcome to the Fae Forge Academy. I am your usual GM, Steven, uh, but that is not the case today. Um, but before we get to that, with me, we've got some of our usual crew. Uh, Chris, say hi. Which one? <laughs> Just kidding, it's me. I'm Chris. <laughs> Ian. Hey everybody, it's Ian. Michael. Hey, it's Michael Sinclair. And Adelaide. Hey, it's Adelaide. And we are joined once again this week by the super talented Chris Geary. Chris, say hi. Why don't you tell us why you're here and what we're going to be doing? Hey, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris Geary, and I am here to run this crew through uh, one shot of Omens Rising. Uh, the last two episodes that you listened to, you got to hear them go through character creation altogether. And now they're going to take those characters that they love so much and um, see what they can do with them in gameplay. Yeah, we're we're super excited to see how this how this goes from the uh, the characters that we made to actual actual gameplay and explore your world. Um, before we jump in, though, um, a couple things. One, as usual, if you would take the time to leave a five star rating and review, uh, means the world to us. Um, takes two minutes of your time. We've given you, I don't know. I think at this point we're at almost a hundred hours of content that you have gotten to consume. So seems like a fair trade off to me. <laughs> We also have a Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash Academy, we've got lots of new stuff up there. Um, we have some uh, fairy tales that are canon in the world of Avastria. We have some subclasses that are free for you. Some old character journals, some cast interviews, lots of, lots of good stuff. Um, lots of fun stuff in there. And last but not least, we are affiliated with Greenleaf Geek, who is one of the best dice creators out there. Um, Leah makes custom handmade resin dice, um, as well as on her shop you can get uh, a variety of different kinds of merchandise like tote bags and stuff. She also does curated sets from companies such as Chessex and HD Dice. Um, currently she has the Adventure calendar. Um, <laughs> uh, if that is something that interests you, it's re really cool. She pulls from a lot of different other creators to partner with creating these, these little like Advent related, I have no word products advent related stuff calendars it's like an advent calendar it has like yeah. dice sets in it and mm -hmm. uh some of them come with artwork and like coloring pages it's super neat it's the gift that keeps on giving and use the code faithforge at checkout and that's another way you can support our our podcast a little bit um actually this is really the last thing we currently are going through um a we have a mini campaign on twitch that's happening with some of our cast um going through kobold presses uh, Scarlet Citadel called, uh, and the stream is called The Secrets Below. So if you go to twitch.tv slash Faithforge So funny. If you like our characters on Faithforge, it's just picture the exact opposite of those characters. You're playing the exact <laughs> if opposite. If you love those characters, you'll hate these jerkwads. Well, forget it. You'll hate it. Um, uh, no, it's a, it's a true true dungeon crawl. It's got some horror stuff going on. It's, it's a mm -hmm. lot of fun. Um, and it's canon to our story and our world. Um, so that's there's happening. wet wipes. There's lingering looks. It's got it all, really. Yeah. That's really yeah. <laughs> Which those are literally the only two things you need. There's Ariadna, <laughs> the evil twin, twin to Ariadne. Yep. Um, uh, and you can find the backlog of those on our YouTube channel if you search for Fae Forge Academy. The first four episodes are there, uh, as long as well as uh, a whole other mini campaign that is also canon. But I'm probably talking too long, and you want to hear us play games, so let's do that. So Chris, it's all you. Thank you, Stephen, and thank you for uh, inviting us onto your show.
we're going to start in the northwest of the continent of Rafines, which is uh, central to the globe itself. Uh, part of the continent itself has uh, crosses where the equator and the equivalent of the Grand Meridian um, uh, show up. So we're in the northwest corner outside of one of the star forests. Uh, off, um, I'd say, five, ten miles from the coast where uh, we have Orid's uh, ship being watched over by the pair of ship hands that typically accompany him. And Orid, tell me a little bit about the the ship that you captain. The ship that I captain is it's it's not a very big vessel. Uh, it's let me think. Uh, maybe uh, let me think about this. Um, maybe like 200 or 150 feet uh, long. It's not very big at all. Um, it's just enough to kind of be a comfortable voyage. Uh, it's, a, it's a good enough vessel for a comfortable voyage across like miles and miles of places. We, we talked about this before. This ship is known to travel like hundreds of miles. And so it it's, it's enough for probably six people to to be on there comfortably and have kind of, you know, a small little galley that's like very small, probably only fits two people. Um, it has, you know, uh, racks and bunks that are good enough for six. Uh, it's very like, very efficient use of 150 feet of boat. Um, and it's, you know, wooden um, with some, is there metal in this world? Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah, so there's, there's some metal pits to it there's also plastic bits that are like large chunks of plastic um the place i'm from we, we there's a large um slash large trash deposits <laughs> and so we just make do with things and so sometimes if i can't find wood in the middle of the ocean uh things end up getting reinforced with like metal or plastics or rubber or whatever you can find out there so excellent but, uh, other than those like blemishes, it is actually a very comfortable ride and a very um, as luxurious as you can get with all that stuff and having some wear and tear. Yeah, for the audience, uh, Orid's from the island uh, nation of uh, Ketelwakan, which is a refugee nation that developed after the uh, Great Decimation and created an islands uh, and or a chain of um, islands. Uh, off of the wreckage of ships in the area and some magic that helps keep them where they uh, in place uh, the currents tend to flow to this particular space from around the world so in many ways Ketelwakan is kind of like the lost and found of Omens Rising and because of that you will find many uh, parts of it that are patchwork in many ways and um, while to others it may look like blemishes, to many of those at Ketelwakan, uh, it's not the patches that matter when it comes to status. Everything ends up with patches eventually. It's how well it was crafted and how well it was put together. The higher quality of, for example, um, clothing, the higher quality of the thread that's used. Uh, shows status. So patchwork with gold thread shows a different level of status than patchwork with um, a, a, a rough twine or something of that nature, so on and so forth. So um, 
you'll see this quite commonly for those who are from the culture Orid hails from. Uh, on that ship as well, accompanying Orid, are uh, four other passengers uh, that um, helped lead this group here uh, at one point in time. And uh, we're going to go around the table and kind of introduce ourselves. Uh, one thing I forgot to ask Orid, so first, what does Orid look like to the audience so they can see him in their mind's eye? Uh, sure. Uh, he's light-skinned. Uh, he... Um... He's light-skinned, which is a little bit strange for someone being out in the middle of the ocean, but he, he the, the things that he wears are um, light and dark blues with, uh, like, it's a, um, I forget what you call, like, a, it's kind of the same thing like how Besky wears, but, like, it's, it's, it's a little bit more, obviously, patchworked. Um, it has a hood to keep his, you know, head out from the sun because you're just out and exposed. So, but there's, like, blacks and dark blues and things are patched together and there's a little it's it's a very abstract looking garment compared to something that's a little bit more uh flowy um and he um he's about i don't know six one um and uh you know not, nothing like not not too noticeable features other than the things that he's wearing and he has, he definitely has a, a, a compass that's on his person that's like dangling off a chain. And then he has like three or four rings uh, dispersed between his fingers and stuff like that. So um, that's what you see uh, when you see Aura. Excellent. And uh, let's go ahead and move over to Steven's character, Fern. Tell us a little bit about Fern and what we, what the audience can see. So Fern would probably on this on this boat just have found a spot on the deck um, that's out of the way where he can see everything that's going on. He'd put down a little, um, I don't know, like two foot by two foot rug, um, very, very finely woven, um, high craftsmanship. Uh, and he is he's about six, four, probably three hundred and fifty pounds. Um, he's he's a big fellow. Um, He's not solid though. He's 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 plump, um, and he's got he's got a a large a large beard, a um, really really um, faded um, uh, hairline uh, that's pulling back. His his forehead's pretty exposed. Uh, he wears these very loose loose pants um, that's tied with with a belt, just sort of a rope belt, uh, and has um, almost like a poncho style covering. Um, Again, lots of lots of um, high craftsmanship. It's it's very well woven, um, blues and greens primarily, with some silver silver weave, weaving throughout it. Um, and as he sits there, he's he's got this these small little um, like animal trinkets that look to be hand carved. Um, that in his in his big hands, I mean, would not look bigger than a six sided die. Um, that he's painting with these fine little paintbrushes <laughs> on on the ship, and every once in a while just looks up, sees what's going around, and then gets back. Excellent. Let's move on to uh, Ian and Zerada. Tell us about Zerada. So Zerada is a middle-aged woman who is 
leaning on the rail of the boat. She's got her eyes trained on the horizon. She's very alert. Uh, at her side is a rather large panther that would be... You know what? I'm going to go ahead and say that the panther is uneasy on the boat. Mm-hmm. Let's say... Well, I'll even say that the panther has full body weight leaning against Zarada's side. And Zarada has a hand sort of uh, draped across the beast, giving him comfort. Uh, she's wearing a wide-brimmed gray hat and a billowing cloak. Uh, flashes of steel can be seen underneath it as she's carrying a, a big, just big fuck-off sword. <laughs> I'd say about as much of the time that she spends kind of looking over at the horizon, she's also, if Serene Adelaide, your character, is on the deck, she would also be just keeping an eye on your character. Uh, not like in like a possessive or even like a, like, what's the word I'm looking for? When you're looking out for someone, there's a word for this. It'll come to me later. doesn't matter. That's not how she's looking. She's looking more in like a, uh, like just like checking in kind of way. Just like every once in a while looking over and checking in. And I don't know how your character would, would receive that, but it wouldn't stop Zerata from giving you about half of her attention. Excellent. And so let's, let's make the transition to Serene. Natalie, tell us a little bit about what Serene would look like. Yeah, uh, Serene is pretty tall, about 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, um, looks pretty unimposing. Um, not plain, but just, you know, not incredibly noticeable in any great sense. Um, brown hair, uh, blue eyes, uh, pretty pale skin with lots of freckles. And she is wearing a very wide-brimmed hat is quite floppy um white and has all white and gray um clothing on kind of drapey robe-like um but it's clearly a dress and attached to that is um kind of a bandolier and a belt that is doesn't seem to have any weapons attached to it but lots of pouches um they're very fragrant smelling you can see little bits of herbs and potion bottles sticking out of it um, and, uh, there is a very, um, not, not tiny, um, but much smaller than what you would normally see a manta ray look like. Um, but it's floating in the air next to her about, I don't know, frisbee sized. Okay. Okay. Excellent. I love it. And then we have, last but not least, we have Aisling. Tell us, Chris, tell us a little bit about Aisling. So I imagine that... Aisling is probably we're all on the boat, correct? Am I understanding that correctly? Or am or I Or disembarking from the boat, right at right at that stage of heading towards the, the forest itself that's a few miles away. Okay, okay. If there is any kind of like slightly elevated surface, maybe either like a bench that's used for storage or even like a little roof that might be over where the um helm is of this boat, um, Aisling would probably be posted up um, on this surface, uh, laid out on their back, kind of hands behind their head, um, just watching the clouds float by as they're making their way to this forest. Um, Aisling is kind of smaller in stature, a very slight, uh, somewhat boyish frame, usually has a very soft and ambiguous expression. Uh, in their natural waking state, they typically have 
short, shaggy, blondish hair, very pale, freckled skin, um, and super dark brown, uh, almost black eyes, usually wearing plain linen clothing, very loose-fitting sandals, and the only thing they typically really ever carry is this uh, very well-worn brown leather bag that they keep strapped across a shoulder. Currently, if Aisling kind of tunes back into what's happening and realizes that they're about to dock, uh, they would sit up suddenly. Um, they are they have a bit of a shifting nature to them, so as they sit up, you would see that they actually have long red hair, ev- just briefly, um, before it starts to kind of revert to its natural state, and as they open their eyes, they're bright blue with like sideways pupils like a goat. But the longer they f- focus back in on being awake, being focused on what we're about to do, they kind of revert back to their normal form. Excellent. As you all disembark and make your way uh, through the fishing village in which you docked at, toward the the forest, you are kind of recalling what brought you to this place, which um, was some information that was gathered by Zarada and Serene, but also reinforced by a vision Aisling brought to the group. As the people in the group would know from some interactions, uh, Aisling has a tendency to see things in a variety of, well, sometimes it's future, sometimes it's past, sometimes it's just possibilities. But this one felt very real. Uh, there were shadows coalescing in the star forest found in the northwest portion of the continent of Rayfines. They were consuming uh, li- living creatures and beings and the life around it, draining life from the forest itself. Um, it was this darkened cloud almost, but it wasn't over everything. It was coming up from the underbrush and reaching out for that which was around it. Now, well, dreams have a tendency to be metaphors in some cases. The urgency and danger was very clear to what Aisling had felt. And I have a feeling that Zerata would have been all for hunting whatever it is that is causing such things um, in this forest. And I can see, well, Serene wanting to support that uh, as the two characters are from the same culture and are well known to one another. What motivates Fern and Orid to share in this adventure? I think for Orid, it's the first time he's able to figure out, because uh, after meeting, I guess I would have met um, Fern first, and Fern probably tell me, hey, there's this thing going on, because it wouldn't have concerned me until Fern said something. And uh, I've done quite a bit of good, uh, and have a nick and, and talent, or knack and talent for solving things within the village, but this is my first time to see if I can help solve something outside of it. Um, and that 
is interesting to me because kind of the um the day-to-day of you know fixing village conflicts and stuff like that have gotten to a point where it's kind of gotten redundant and a little bit stale um not to say there's not some things that pop up every now and then that are exciting but this is just something completely new and exciting to Orid, and so uh, he thought this would be interesting to go on a journey and, and help these folk uh, figure out what's going on with this area. Excellent. Infern, what are some what are some of the things that brought you this direction? Yeah, I think Fern Fern has been wandering for a while. He's he's probably do ages work similarly to Earth. Yeah. <laughs> to, to human time. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so he's probably in his mid to late 60s, maybe even early 70s. And he's probably spent the last 30 or 40 years just wandering, kind of following this this tradition of weaving, but believing that there's something more than just watching the threads of fate um, and trying to, as, as this world has gone from this decimation to this post-decimation world, um, really feeling strongly that there are people out there that he can subtly guide towards helping heal it. And I feel like there's something in Orid that he would have, that would have caused him to think like, wow, maybe there's something about this. Like in his, in his mind, maybe there's something about this kid. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, and, and then would present this knowledge that he's heard through rumors mm. or whatever. But, but kind of with the hope of seeing whatever this mystery is um, lead to more healing in the world. I like it. But he would never, he would never flat out say that he'd just kind of like poke or just enough to like get or to make the choice to go Mm -hmm. (laughs) on his own. Love it. So one of the things in Omens Rising that um, we do a little differently than some games, uh, D&D being what Fae Forge Academy is known for, I'll make the comparison there, is we don't do um, inventory the same way. Uh, we believe that what you take with you um, needs to be something that pushes the narrative forward. That's what we track. Everything else is assumed to ha- that you have it. So each character has a significant item from their past that they carry with them, but they will also, at the beginning of each adventure, designate a significant item that is going to be in relation to what adventure is before them. So Hmm. we're going to quickly go around the table, and as you are disembarking, I want you to describe what item it is that you're taking with you that you believe will help solve this mystery or confront whatever the the issue might be or just make it there safely depending on which path you want to take and while you're pondering for the audience this is also a tool for the gm to use so that they can make sure that each person feels like they've contributed to an adventure when you get that list of items it gives you things that you can now infuse into this plot line that can make each one of those play a role in some level and that way that spotlight naturally gets shared around the table because each person has something that's significant to the adventure So I'm going to go in reverse order, and I'm going to go to Chris. 
What is Aisling carrying? Um... I know she doesn't carry, or they don't carry much. Nope. Um, so besides the book of dreams that they carry, I suppose for something like this, mm -hmm. gosh, um, if I saw the smoke coming up from the ground or the shadow coming up from the ground. You can give me a type of item and I can help you to distill it down. Yeah, I think that Aisling in in their mind is kind of leaning towards um whatever this disturbance is perhaps it can be cleared or cleaned rather than confronted mm -hmm. um and so i think that they probably bring maybe a like a really a, a culture or pardon me a, a collection of maybe herbs that are significant to their culture mm -hmm. that are used for like calming and cleansing um and have it attached to something that might help create fire or light something along those lines is probably the one of the few other things that they're carrying right now mm, i like that um what about some sort of um like sage on a stick yeah is what i'm like, thinking yeah so i was thinking like so this world is science fantasy and what popped into my head, and tell me if this sounds like something that Aisling would be interested in, mm -hmm. is um, have you ever seen the incense burners that Catholic churches, the ostentatious ones have? The kind of Oh, the ones when, that swing? Yeah. Yeah. Something like that, but it also can emanate light. It can also work as like a lantern. Into it. Okay. So. Sensors? Is that what that's called? Mm -hmm. I think it's called a sensor, yeah. Yep. Ooh, the one mass I've attended in my life. It's all coming back to me. Finally paid off. <laughs> all right. Um, the light emanates because of a, well, as uh, from what Aisling knows, it is a stone, uh, a crystal of some sort, um, gem, unsure. It's a deep, dark purple gem. Um, and what is Aisling's base eighth roll? Uh, base is two. Too. Okay. It's a dark purple gem or crystal that can emit light and also is what activates whatever incense or herbs or whatnot um, and burns them. It, it, it is the catalyst, shall we say, mm -hmm. uh, for the sensor. Uh, the rest of it is your standard like brass, uh, brass chain. Um, it's older which means it has, you know, some wear on it, nothing that would make it ugly per se, but um, definitely you can see the age on it, whether it be some tarnish or uh, small dents or scratches or things of that nature, um, just from life uh, itself. Okay. So then to Serene, what might you be carrying with you? And it can be um, something like what uh, Chris described uh, Adelaide, or it could be something as uh, um, more mundane, if you wish, as well. I so my special item is a um, a rather beat up looking book, mm -hmm. very stained, pages are yellowed, uh, weather uh, water waterlogged almost, um, and it is a cookbook full of recipes that are magic based in some form, mm -hmm. whether it's just like 
a really good lasagna that makes you feel a little bit uh, more confident for the day or, you know, a potion that um, wards away um, flu. Mm-hmm. It's just a hodgepodge, um, long collection of ancestral recipes. Confidence lasagna. <laughs> Love it. Um, and what kind of, so that's your personal one. Mm -hmm. uh, what do you want to bring for this adventure to contribute to it? As far as the adventure, um, she, this is a good question. Um, I've been trying to think of it while everybody's talking. <laughs> she is bringing along, um, a, <laughs> come back to me, come back to okay. me. I'm still, I'm back. still working on it. <laughs> okay. It's like. It's like, oh, that works. No, that doesn't work. That doesn't okay, work. that's um, fine. Zerata. So, being as this is likely to be likely an adventure with some danger attached to it, I mean, mm -hmm. these sort of missions very rarely go off exactly as planned. There's some kind of complication. My character, Zerata's, one of her primary motivations is. Uh, particularly on this machine would be to keep mm. uh, to keep Serene safe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I think that she would have brought along um, I'm th I'm, I've got I've got in mind like some kind of like like subtle like I'm not, again I'm not sure at what level of magic we're at here in this world. So I'm gonna put, I'm gonna pitch this out there. I'm gonna let you mm -hmm. work with it. But I'm thinking of some kind of like like a matching set of jewelry that confers some kind of protection as long as we're near. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's go with, um, I like the idea of bracelets. So twin bracelets. Oh, that's dope. Now, one of the things about the Kiznoak is they rely, or they power a lot of their magic through tattooing. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go with these bracelets that are attuned to some sort of forearm or wrist tattoo that each of you has uh, as its power source. Um, and that is what is going to give the information that or the, the type of power in which is involved. So what kind of um, tattoo might... Uh, I'm I'm thinking Zerata has something that's about that would include that switching of places, that that swapping of positions. Um, what kind of magic would be in the tattoo that you would have, Adelaide? That's a good question. Um, in, in my in my um, tattoo, she is um, kind of one of the heirs, one of the potential heirs to her clan. Mm -hmm. um, so she has a tattoo that was given, knowing that she was going up this adventure. Um, kind of like a, a ward, like a protective kind of ward mm -hmm. um, that may be used in proximity to someone else, like lending it out mm -hmm. um, uh, as long as they're close. Um, it's a good question is what Ian's would be. Yeah. I'm going to assume that it has something to do with the swapping of places unless Ian yeah. changes. Um, and so Ian can use, activate it to swap places with mm -hmm. Serene. Or Serene can use the power of the tattoo to fortify either mm -hmm. herself or uh, Zerata, depending right. on the circumstance, because of the connection that the bracelets create. That works for me. So it's more about channeling or, or creating that conduit connection between the two, is what yeah. the bracelets do, than actually being the source of power itself. 
Um, so what magic would your tattoo have? While you were out, Sir, uh, <laughs> Adelaide had described that Serene's would be a warding tattoo that she can either activate for herself or extend to you through the bracelet. Mm -hmm. um, and what... Hmm? Mm -hmm. the, the item that you had talked about, you described like a pair of bracelets that they could that would keep them connected or items that would keep them connected and we were talking about bracelets that they could wear that would be um gotcha mm -hmm. and they would be uh connected to the um well the kiznoek have a ta uh use tattoo magic in order mm -hmm. to infuse uh, or can uh pull power from the aether and so the idea is that whatever forearm tattoo this bracelet is is on is what you would channel through the bracelet to the other or use on yourself if you wanted. And I like the mirror idea that you had, and I thought that maybe Got that it. could be it. Okay. Some sort of tattoo that you could swap places mm -hmm. with uh, the other wearer, whoever it might be. But you can run with whatever you want. Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, yeah, I guess that, that works great. Okay. And Serene, did you, or Adelaide, did you have a different one for Serene? Uh, yeah. So I had been thinking, um, I don't know what it's called. You may know because you're more occulty than me. Um, but I think she would be very interested as part of the um, alchemical uh, mm -hmm. clan to kind of be more into diagnostics of a sort. Mm. And I had an idea of some kind of like pendant um, that would swing and she can ask very basic questions of, um, oh, almost kind definitely. of like that old like reflexology medicine mm -hmm. thing, you know, where like, you'd be like, oh, is your stomach upset? And then your arm would twitch or, you know, whatever, but it would yeah. kind of, you know, just very basic, um, health related questions. So a divining pendulum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And do you have a preferred stone that it is from or are mm. you leaving that to me? I don't know what kind of stone this would be, but it's kind of a, a lighter blue color. Okay. We'll go with an aquamarine. It works. That's the, that's what I've seen lately is a couple really beautiful aquamarines. So they're on my mm. mind. Um, let's go to Fern. Uh, Fern would pack a tea set. Mm. Just something with with the, the the idea of using something like tea on on any sort of adventure as a way to give everyone a chance to to rest and kind of find their their center and kind of it's his it's what he does when he needs to find his next answer. Mm -hmm. Um, and he doesn't feel like he's getting any guide from his from his um his little piece of piece of cloth that he has. Mm -hmm. um, so sort of like a, a mixture of helping, helping the group find guidance and also find a little bit of spiritual and mental rest, Love which it. leads to physical rest. Love it. We get fancy on this boat. Yeah. Let's go to Orid. Um, so what Orid's going to be bringing is uh, basically he's kind of the, the navigator of the ship. And so, um, I think that there would be a, a spare one of these, but basically he's taking a um, some navigation tools, being like a compass, map, uh, and um, 
something that helps tell what the weather's doing objectively. Like he doesn't, he's not doing things like through some sort of like, um, some sort of ethereal, uh, connection. It's more of like, what's the weather doing now? Like temperature, uh, some barometer things to see if the, the, um, weather is changing to maybe there's something that is kind of a little bit more, uh, magical in the sense of like being able to just more accurately tell what the weather is, but he's mm-hmm. hoping, he's hoping that, um, because there's shadows and things like that happening in the forest that this is going to help point them in the direction that they need to go or tell them like, Oh, you're here in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. That's what he thinks might help is like, Oh, the temperature is dropping rapidly and it's still the middle of the day. We might be probably approaching mm-hmm. uh, a place where, um, the place that we're interested in or looking for. Yeah, no, I like it. Awesome. So we have those items now. And so we're going to move into the adventure and um, it's, it's a bit of a hike. It's about five, five to 10 miles from where uh, you all docked to reach the edge of the star forest. Um, as is known uh, to many um the star forest, at least the trees along the edge, have a tendency to produce a fruit called the star tier pear. Um, it's similar in shape uh, to custard apples, is what they're called. Uh, that's kind of what they look like. They're fairly rare because of the way that they grow, uh, and they do not grow anywhere else but the edges of star forests. Um, and you will find at the edge of the star forest some of the trees bearing those fruits. There is no direct path. The path that you followed here just kind of stops at the forest's edge. Maybe a few feet into it, but it just kind of gets overgrown quite quickly. What... I'm going to just go... Whoever wants to go first can go first. What action would you like to take to figure out where to go next? So... I have a, a little bit of a, like a mechanics question. Mm-hmm. Um, as you say, like take an action. Are we looking at like our aptitudes and thinking through like, how do we use those to, to move the story forward? Or are we just, or, or are you really just want, is this game designed for us to just like role play through? And then when we need to use one of those, you'll ask us like, like what aptitude would you like to use? Uh, the latter, actually. You okay. describe what it is you want to do. And basically what I would ask is, um, what aptitude would you like to use? And are you wanting to put forth extra effort, a.k.a. play a card? Or are you going off of your base rating? Okay. And then we would um, narrate it from there. So okay. starting with your idea of what you want to do, then we narrow it down further based on what level of action you want to get into. I think... Um... I don't know how how this would actually necessarily help us move our way forward, but I think if there are some of these star fruits, mm-hmm. uh, Fern would just go pick one and start eating it, and okay. and probably sit down and okay. watch watch the rest of the group. It's like Kingdom Hearts <laughs> Taupu fruit, star fruit. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a '90s kid, okay. Mm-hmm. I like it. What what else? As as we get to the edge of the clearing of this. We get to the edge of the forest, this clearing here. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what do we what do we see around us? It's like a, I imagine it's a large field that maybe large grassy fields, mm-hmm. um, sporadic bushes, uh, a few trees here or there that are not connected to the forest itself. And then the forest itself is is 
is dense. Um, mm. It uh, the trees are um, thick trunked. They typically go up about mm, four to six feet before branches start to form. Uh, their canopies are quite broad. They spread uh, the branches out quite wide. Uh, most mm. of the trees here have uh, some form of leaf that is broad, uh, more like, kind of like, I would say like an uh, an oak leaf sort of in its shape. And there are other types of trees within it. Uh, there are even some coniferous trees and things like that uh, intermingled. It's it's not all one type, but they all have the same sort of shape where they kind of go up a ways and then branch out to create this thick canopy that can block out all of the light underneath them. These, these trees sound pretty thick, stout, mm -hmm. and uh, potentially climbable. Mm -hmm. Zerato would find a... A tree with branches that are low to the ground, something that's pretty straightforward, and would climb up to it, uh, climb up the tree to get a good vantage point, and look around for any kind of sign of of this smoke that we had, we had okay. that was described earlier. Excellent. There shouldn't be any reason for Zerata to have to make a check to do this uh, for climbing, but for looking out and 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 searching mm. for something. What mm -hmm. aptitude would Zerata rely on? Hmm. So part of uh, Zathara's prophecy for her origin is that when she's in contact with an aether font, a sacred ground, or a ley line, her presence amplifies manifestations. So I'm gonna mm -hmm. I want to let's go with aether ethereal. Okay. Excellent. And uh, what's the base rating for Zerata's uh, aetheral? Uh, she is ranked three for Aetheral, so that is a mm -hmm. base rating of nine. Okay. And um, would you like to play a card? Would you like to put extra effort into it? Yes. Okay. So what part of self is Zerata going to use? Are they using their physical self, looking at the physical world mm. itself? Are they leaning into their mental self? Um, and you don't have to answer this question quite yet, but keep this in mind as you look at the cards in your hand. Uh, mental self, uh, trying to spot something and, and discern, you know, what looks different, that sort of thing, like a, some sort of puzzle. Um, mm. Is it an emotional connection or are you tapping into the aetheral self to kind of see, see sight beyond sight? Um, and so I want you to draw two cards so you have a hand of four and then make that determination. Okay. I'm going to draw two more cards here. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, well, that does change things. That's why I didn't want you to make the de decision just yet. Yeah. I'm going to go with, uh, I'm going to go with Zathara's affinity suit uh, for land and physical. She's going to be reaching out to make a connection vis-a-vis -vis the queen of diamonds. Now, okay. Should I, should I play that so, directly yep, to the Go ahead and play that field? right in the center. Excellent. So we've got the queen of diamonds. And then uh, go ahead and discard one card that you don't want to keep. So you stick with two cards in the end. So just drop it on the uh, anywhere is fine. Okay, I'll just throw away this ace of spades. Ugh, what a terrible card. That's that's a good card. <laughs> that's nah. aces are worth fourteen, just so you know. Um, but um, uh, yeah, no, that's fine. Um, 
That, that's that's a really nice hand. I made my decision. Um, Queen of Diamonds is uh, worth 12 points. And your base is a nine, uh, a nine so that's 21. And then you, uh, what is your affinity suit? So in the center of your first page. That it is circle, diamonds. It is diamonds, so you gain a plus mm-hmm. two as well. Are you using any, uh, what is what is your personal significant item again? My personal, uh, Zathar's personal significant item is the Sword of Prophecy, which is uh, a, through elucidative aptitude. Gotcha. And then your guide, the plus one that you get from the Prophecy of the Guides card. Uh, that is a guide. When I, that, I get a plus one to all pulls or spreads when I'm tasked with ending a situation, which I, I don't think really applies we're not, here. I think yeah. we're, we're at the beginning okay. right now. Yeah. I just want to make sure that we're giving you any any bonus that applies. So that oh, gives thanks. you a total of a 23. Um, okay. For spotting something like this from the vantage point that you have. Can we break down where that 23 comes from? Just for yes. curiosity. So you've got your base nine from your aetheral. You've got yep. your 12 from the queen, which is 21. 21. And, your and then plus two, two for my affinity suit. Affinity suit. Yep. Nice, nice, nice. And so the target number that you're looking for... Uh, in regards to this particular task, is um, actually only going to be a ten. It's it's not considered extremely difficult. It's just something that you need to accomplish uh, for that um, distance. So sounds good. You now have let's see here. That's more than double. So that's considered a critical success. So on your character sheet. Uh, for Aethril, I want you to check the diamond that's to the right of the word Aethril. Done. So that's your one-fourth of the way towards leveling up Aethril at this point. Nice. And you, uh, I'll come back to what you see once we go around the table and have all the actions. So we've got eating of a, of a fruit. We've got climbing the tree to survey the area. And who wants to go next? Uh, I guess I was going to climb the, the bird's nest, but if someone's mm. already doing a climb, I will touch down to shore and uh, get my first initial initial readings with the um, weather instruments that I'm bringing along. So, Excellent. Yeah. So which uh, aptitude would you use to manipulate these? Is it something that you are using like inquisitive to try and look for connections or patterns? Is it something um... inquisitive is what I'm going to go with. Um, Yeah. And uh, I have a three in inquisitive. Okay. uh, Base three. So um, Uh, draw two cards. All right, and to do the cards thing, is it the ones on the right hand side, like the yeah, white and the, the dark, the dark pink deck? Okay, so draw two. Yep. Okay, so it was a four clubs and a jack clubs. Okay, uh, so you have the jack, the four, uh, and then the two cards in your hand that you talked about. So if you play the jack of clubs, which is what's out there right now, you can also put it back in your hand if you'd rather. That would be doing this through like trying to tap into the aethral aspects of what's going on to see mm-hmm. beyond the the prime world to see the unseen bits is that what you're trying to do funny that you mentioned that like this is supposed to be a very objective instrument but like that's i guess what's happening is like the aethral thing is is happening and i have uh mm-hmm. 
one of my things for like bonds is that I, I see a connection. Like you feel when the strand is severed or reverberates around uh, across mm-hmm. the realms or things like that. So there might be a way that like for a moment I just get lost and my th- this little moment between me and the aetheral, uh somehow my my weather instruments pick that up and maybe mm-hmm. it's it's helpful to kind of figure out what we need to do to press on from where we are. Excellent. So a jack is worth 11 plus your three, which is 14. What is your um, uh, affinity suit? My affinity suit is, let me back this up. Is that from the origin? It would have been from the oh, origin yeah, yeah. as well. It's the same suit as yeah, your origin Yeah, it's a heart. Card. It's a heart. Hearts. Okay. So that doesn't um, connect to, to this uh, in this yeah. situation. However, um, what you needed was a 14. So you met the first tier of success. And yeah. uh, you accurately calibrate your instruments to identify the patterns that are not the atypical patterns, um, which you have identified yourself as being the aethral patterns, the things that there's something affecting the, these instruments that is not the weather. And that's what mm-hmm. you've tuned them into to help you find where to go. And it's pointing in a direction and we'll get to what direction that's pointing uh, once we wrap up here with the last two actions as well. So Serene or Aisling is left. So I'm going based off of just gut feel. She does not mm-hmm. have much experience with adventuring yet. This is kind of like her first foray outside of her clan. Um, but one of my things is I have a guide of an omen of the once where gods. And mm-hmm. uh, what I try and seek out is a feeling of a of a very sudden breeze. It's just it's just it's just vibes. It's all vibes, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, looking around at the landscape, I'm trying to get a sense of if I feel called in any particular direction. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, which aptitude are you looking to uh, leverage? Um, probably, probably Aetheral. Okay. And what is your base rating for Aetheral? Uh, a three or three? nine. And, oh, a nine. So rank yeah. three, base of nine. Yeah. Gotcha. That reminds me, Michael, was it a rank three or was it a base, a rank one base of three for your inquisitive? That's a good question. Um, it's, it's the one that like bumped up compared to oh, everything okay. else. So that would have been six points higher. So that would have been a uh, 20. So that oh, okay. would have actually been, so that would have been a, oh, well, not quite. So that it, it we're at the same point, but I'll keep that number in my head rather than 14. So, yes, a rank three, which is a base rating of nine. And would you like to play a card as well? Do you want to put in extra effort? Heck yeah. Okay. So draw two. <laughs> okay. Uh, does it matter which? Oh, that's the safety deck. Okay. Yep. All right. Okay. So six and a seven of hearts. Okay. And so you can play any of the four cards in your hand um, that you would like to. Okay. Um, ooh. Um, but whichever one, um, it should either correspond with the part of self. Do you want the emotional self, the aethral self, the mental self, or the physical self? Right. Okay. I've got a spade. I think I'm going to do, Jesus, 
This is so hard. It's so hard to decide. Um, let's go with the let's go with the spade. I don't know what that means, okay. but let's let's. So try that's it. the that's the mental self. You're trying to really think about it and, mm-hmm. and tap into it that way intellectually. Um, it's also the suit of air, which mm-hmm. since it's you know uh, your character tends to feel the breeze, the air yeah. around them. It kind of also connects in a in a different sort of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a seven plus your base nine, which is a sixteen. And uh, what's your affinity suit? Uh, it's clubs, I believe. Clubs, uh, okay. So a 16 yeah. is enough. You need a, a 14 similar to Orid in this particular circumstance. And uh, you f- do get a pull of sorts. And we'll describe that here in a second. Okay. Um, last but not least, Aceling. Oh, and uh, Adelaide, feel free to discard one of your remaining cards. Oh, right. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, 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 I bet Serene and Aisling are going to have a lot of common mm-hmm. moves in some of these situations. Are we just vibing? Yeah, we just vibe. Like, I'm just here to party. <laughs> um, I think that seeing everyone kind of spread out and start to try to think the situation through, Aisling would approach Fern. Mm-hmm. And um, ask if perhaps I might have some of those seeds from that fruit if you don't need them. Oh, let me let me ask them first. Can can they have have one of your seeds? <laughs> holds it up, holds it up to his ear. No, yeah, that seems like a good idea. Uh, and pulls out a couple of them and hands them to you. Perfect. Oh, and mm. I did forget to answer your question. Chris. Yes, there is a help action involved. We'll get to that here in a second. Okay. Anytime that there is an action that you want to assist with, you would describe how. And then if you have a better card that can increase the play, you would take the one off the table and replace it with the one from your hand. Oh, interesting. Does it have to be the same suit or? It would, well, the suit matters. Yes. Off suit is only worth one point. So I see. I see. Okay. Outside, of course, of course, Joker's are all suits. They count as all suits, so. Okay. I think um, Aisling's gut instinct here is that they want to provide whatever insight they can to whomever may be more skilled at actually locating or pinpointing where we need to go. Mm-hmm. Mechanically, I don't know how, how, but I think that they are, especially given that they have seen this vision of this mm-hmm you know, place that they're trying to go. I think Aisling is trying to tap back into that a little bit. And okay, um, I know that one of them is climbing, one of them is vibing, one of them is weather veining, um, and then one of them's eating some fruit. Mm-hmm. So what, I, what I'm going to have you do, uh, Chris, is I'm going to have you draw two cards. Okay. And um, which aptitude is it that Aisling would use to really kind of connect back with that vision, that dream that they had? What aptitude? I think this is more of a supportive Mm -hmm. gesture. So maybe motivator or that's what I'm kind of thinking. Yeah. I mean, that works perfectly fine. Uh, What was the other one you were thinking? Uh, I, I was toying with the idea of elucidative mm-hmm. um, to kind of help clear some of the muck, the, the mm-hmm. you know, 
metaphorical muck out of their way yeah. as they're looking, but uh, I guess it could go either way. Either is perfectly fine. It depends on whether or not you're looking to empower what others are doing or you want to help them focus. I'm going to say... I'm going to say I would like to help them focus. So maybe elucidative. Excellent. So we're going to go to elucidative. What is your base rating or your base rank and then it's a corresponding rating? Okay. So elucidative has a base rank of three. Mm -hmm. So nine. And then it has a check mark in the, I don't know if that's significant. The the spade. Okay. Um, not at this point. Is the, is the circle filled in next to it, though? No, it is not. Okay. Uh, what part of self are you going to leverage? Your physical, mental, emotional, or ethereal self? Basically, which suit are you going to use? Yeah. So I was thinking, actually, ethereal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a nine of clubs I was going to play for that. Okay. So go ahead and play that, and then you can just right-click on one of the two fives and put it into your hand. Okay. Whichever one you want to keep. Sure. I'll take this one. And then we'll go ahead and discard the other. Yep. Okay. So the nine plus nine is 18. Um, and then what is Aisling's affinity suit? Is it hearts? It's hearts. Well? So, hearts as well? Yeah, it doesn't. Okay. So that gives us an 18 total. And I'm going to add a bonus due to the, the dream itself. And what you can do is you'll be able to bump someone's success by a tier of success. You can choose whom you want to augment, noting that, and you can use the meta in this, that the the climber has already gotten a critical success. They're Mm -hmm. also the furthest away from you being able to communicate with them. Mm -hmm. So it would take more effort to be able to try and assist them anyway. Okay. But of the other three you can um, give them some sort of bonus. Okay. I don't remember what anybody's numbers were, but... Uh, oh, it's... it's Yeah. yeah. So, um, I, I don't believe... I'll go with my gut instinct, I okay. guess. Um, mm-hmm. I think I'm going to approach Orid mm-hmm. uh, with these seeds in my palm and um, probably just extend the hand with the seeds out to him as he's doing his weather mm-hmm. spinny thing. Um, and make a gesture, you know, uh, like, uh, to indicate that I want him to open his palm and I will drop the seeds into it and my hair will start to shift to match the color of the green in the trees. And I'll put a hand underneath his and pop the seeds a couple of times up into the air. And each time they're going to land in a different arrangement in order to help maybe guide him in his scientific pursuit. Excellent. So we're going to bump that to a second tier of success uh, for you, Orid, instead of the first tier of success. Um, and how this is all going to show up is we're going to kind of, well, we had our little scene with the with the um, the uh, star tier pair and Fern and Aisling. Uh, Fern, uh, what else are you looking for with that experience? Anything, or is it just kind of? I think Fern would in his in his own way like each bite he's kind of trying to to connect with this forest um and see if he can find a way to figure out what 
figure out a hint of where to go, not from a directional path, mm-hmm. but from a like what's the what's the issue? Like mm-hmm. what's what's actually affecting this forest? Mm-hmm. Excellent. So we're gonna end on that answer. And I'm gonna go to the treetop. And Zarada, what you see from your position is not necessarily smoke. It's it's shadows that mm. seem to be infiltrating some of the trees. And you can see this kind of... Tendrils. Yeah, they're tendrils, but they are similar to like a spider web pattern, but much more mm. fluid and winding than the mm-hmm. straight lines that spiders typically make. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is... You, you can kind of see the origin point or the center, maybe not the origin point, but the center of that webbing set of tendrils that spreads mm-hmm. out. And it's not deep into the forest, but it's definitely further in. Uh, the tendrils mm-hmm. don't reach the edge anywhere in particular, but they are closer further to um, the, let's see, where you guys came in from. It'd be further to the west or to your right because you're coming in from the north, uh, north, northwest. Um, and that's probably the closest path if you're trying to engage with it immediately, but you're not sure if that's the best, best path. It's just kind of what is available for you to see. All right. This is, uh, this is, I was going to pull out some kind of, uh, like a landmark from the forest mm-hmm. to use to navigate. Uh, either either towards or around the center of this creeping web-like mm-hmm. sinewy darkness. Okay. Let's see here. There is, not directly together, but there are interspersed with a couple of other trees, three coniferous trees that kind of poke out in what looks like from your advantage a pretty close to an equilateral triangle. Hmm near the center. The center is like directly in the center of those three trees if it were a triangle. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It does. So um, that is kind of like the best landmark in this mass of trees that you see. And Mm -hmm. um, when we move on to Adelaide and to uh, Serene, uh, you're going to feel pulled toward the uh, the forest, like directly toward the forest in front of you. And the breeze itself, though, sways back and forth. Like it's not a straight mm. line. It's kind of shifting left and right in a very kind of lazy winding pattern. And the instinct that you get is that there's not going to be a direct path there, but there is going to be a path once you find it. Okay. Uh, I am going to look at... Zerata first, even though Aura's the leader, he's like you know, he he got he got he drove the boat to get us here. But I I kind of point in the direction uh, of of uh, into the forest where I feel most called, and I just kind of I'm gonna start taking a few steps forward. Okay. Um, Orid, as Aisling comes over and puts those seeds in your hand and kind of causes them to shift and 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 move into different patterns they start to actually sync up with some of the connections and the the demarcations on your dials 
as you dial in to this aethral aspect of the, the uh, star forest itself, and you start to get a read and a pretty strong pull, and you think that you are tapped into not just the direction of where you're headed, but how to get there. So you think if you follow like this kind of like a Geiger counter as it gets louder you go in that direction and it takes you to the path and as you go further away it gets softer um, in its in its clicking and, and in its uh, dials the movement or not dials it's um like the barometer rises and falls the the closer you are to the correct path it rises that kind of thing um, you find your uh, you get this kind of a, like you feel like as long as you keep it dialed in you're going to be able to use this to find the correct path. And that leads us to our star tier pair and to the forest itself. And Fern, you start to feel the creeping of something um, along your skin. Not necessarily that something's there, but that that feeling that you get sometimes where there's this sense of something unclean, something that is uh, in, I don't know, it's, it's clinging to the forest. And because it's clinging to the forest, it's clinging uh, to you as you try to reach out to it and connect with it in, in, a, in a way. And it wants that gone. It wants that removed. Hmm. And that's the urgency that you feel. It doesn't like it. It wants it gone. It's starting to get anxious, if that makes any sense. If a forest could get anxious, that's what mm -hmm. Fern's feeling. And like it would lash out if it can, and it's working up the energy to do such. Mm. Could I get a sense of the direction it would lash, lash out if it could? It would be all directions. Kind mm. of think like something from the center of the forest that would radiate outwards and possibly past the edge of the forest itself. Mm. I think I would look at my companions after, as I'm chewing chewing on this bite, and, and um, Fern has a typically light-hearted kind of feel about him um, but I feel like I feel like he would start to show signs of anxiety almost mirroring what he feels in the forest and says there's something out there that that makes the forest af afraid we we must hurry or or something far worse than these shadows will will happen Zerata points to the... Zerata kind of comes down from the tree and points in the direction of the sort of the, the, the core of where this darkness is spreading and sister, uh, her companions. Yes, it's coming in. Spreading in through the trees, through the leaves and branches. Like a spider creeping through, but not natural. And then she'll look to 
So she'll she'll look to uh, to Aisy, Aisling and say, "I believe the way forward is through here." And she'll point deeper into the wood. Um, Aisling will give you a nod as they look up at you. You would see that their eyes have shifted, and they're the same teardrop shape as these seeds. Um, and they'll slowly start to morph back as they wait for you to descend. All right. As they as they as they touch to the ground, uh, start making their way into the woods. So tune in next week to see what happens in this shadowy forest on the Fae Forge Academy. Spooky. Hey, thanks so much for attending the Fae Forge Academy today. Uh, before you go, don't forget to check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash Academy. Um, and also stop by Greenleaf Geek, which is at Greenleaf Geek on Twitter and Instagram or greenleafgeek.com. Get all your dice needs fulfilled. Um, uh, and don't forget that if you use the code FAYFORGE on checkout, you'll get 10% off your order. We are also proud members of the Fundamentals Podcast Network, so make sure you go to thefundamentals.com to catch up on all sorts of pop culture and nerd stuff. Uh, they have a lot of great articles, a lot of other great podcasts. Um, check them out. And with that, I am your Dungeon Master, Steven. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore bad DM. My name is Ian Gould, and you can find me on Twitter at Ian G. Gould. Hey, I'm Chris. I like to hang out. You can do so alongside me on Twitter at Kiss of Hemlock. Uh, my name is Emily Harmon, and you can find me on Twitter at Emily J E A Harmon. My name is Michael Sinclair II. You can find me at Michael Critz on Twitter and on Twitter. Hey, I'm Kai. You can find me at Twitter at Stonefly underscore Kai. My name is Adelaide Garner. You can find me at O Adelaide on Twitter and Action underscore Fiction on Twitch. Theme music by Dave Cole of the Four Orbs Podcast. For more music, check out D. Cole Music on YouTube. Additional sound effects and music found at zapsplat.com, tabletopaudio.com, and epidemicsound.com. The Faithforge Academy is a proud member of the Fundamentals Podcast Network. <laughs>